welcome to Zoom with Zarni. Uh, today is Thursday, uh, October 12th, and I'm happy to bring to you the Skinny Atlas Democrats uh, conversation. We have two great candidates running for office out in Skinny Atlas, New York. Uh, yes, the, the southern westmost corner of our county, uh, the village on the lake, but also the town of Skinny Atlas has two Democratic candidates that have excellent chances at winning. We have uh, Ralph DeMasi, who's running for town justice, and Chris Legg running for uh, town uh, supervisor. Uh, I'm so happy to bring you this interview. Some of you may know that I graduated from high school on Skinny Alice. No, I wasn't a, a Porsche kid in the village. I uh, lived out on the Cherry Hill, uh, Cherry Valley Turnpike and uh, you know, middle-class family. Uh, I spent my last two years of high school in Skinny Alice. It was a great uh, time. So I have a lot of love in my heart for uh, my Skinny Atlas friends. So check this out. I think uh, you'll uh, you'll like the interview. Uh, this week, we had our budget uh, for the 2024 uh, calendar announced by and signed by the legislature. You may have seen me. I did a pretty raunchous uh, commissioner in a car on that on, uh, on Tuesday. So check that out if you want to see what my live reaction was to that. Uh, we also had a couple of articles come out about it because uh, it was interesting. Uh, we have been short for the 2024 election, according to our estimates at the Board of Elections. And there seems to be uh, some concern over whether uh, we've given enough data or not. That's the first time in my life I've ever been uh, accused of not giving data, but uh, that's okay. Uh, I'm sure the public can see for itself. If you go to my website, you can see our testimony uh, and the data that we did give and judge for yourself whether we gave enough data or not. But uh, check those things out again, go to dustinzarney.com. You can get all that information. I may do a, a little bit more long uh, of a, uh, a reaction to that uh, later in the week. So, But for now, here is my interview with the Skinny Atlas Town Democrats, Chris Legg running for Town Supervisor, and Ralph DeMoss running for Town Justice. Enjoy. And we're back. And I'm really happy to have my good friends from my alma mater out in Skinny Atlas, New York, uh, I'm a former Laker, uh, but we have Chris Legg, who's a Skinny Atlas Town board member who is running for uh, Town Supervisor out there, and Ralph DeMasi, who's running for the newly open uh, Town Justice race out in Skinny Atlas. Chris, Ralph, thanks so much for coming on Zoom with Zarni. Thank you for having us. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, people, uh, we've been doing these town races here for, uh, for the last month or so. And I think people are always wondering, you know, uh, can Democrats get elected in these rural towns? And I think in Skinny Atlas, we've actually had a pretty good history of that. You know, it, it, it's seen as a Republican town. The registration is, you know, obviously Republican. However, if you saw my weekly wonk I did a couple of weeks ago, uh, it does have a pretty good history of electing certain Democrats that voted for President Biden. And it also has elected a town supervisor before, members of the town board, uh, and you're running town-wide. So I, I do think that we have a, a really good shot out there, and, the, and Skinny Atlas is changing. It's becoming more and more democratic over the last few years. So I'm really glad that uh, you're putting on a race and, 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 and vying for these important uh, races. But I don't know if people know who you are, <laughs> because we're... These town races a lot of times get no coverage, so that's why we do this podcast. So I'm going to just ask you to kind of give you give us your background. We'll start with you, Chris. Uh, who's Chris Legg? 
So Chris Legg is a lifelong resident of Scanny Atlas. I've spent um, my entire life serving the public. As a young person, I helped organize the sixth grade anti-pollution club with one of my friends and we raised money for an organization that was then called the Tri-County Pure Waters Association to help preserve Scanny Atlas Lake. And it's now called Scanny Atlas Lake Association. As I went through school, I engaged in a number of other activities. I took a Navy ROTC scholarship and went off to the University of Rochester thinking I'd serve in the Navy and then go off to do other things in civilian life. But as I served as a surface warfare officer, traveling around the world, leading sailors on a ship, primarily in engineering duty and learning how to drive a ship, I became um, aware that at eight or nine years, I ought to make up my mind what I want to do when I grow up. And I said, well, we'll continue with this. It's been an extraordinary experience. And in 22 years, the Navy gave me increasingly more important responsibilities. And as I went forward, I had opportunities to see things in different parts of the world. I was the on-site negotiator at Pan Panmunjom, Korea, talking to the North Koreans six days a week. And ultimately, the Navy gave me command of a billion-dollar ship with 350 sailors. And when they were embarked, 500 Marines and SEALs. And in that capacity, I realized as I was later at the United States Naval Academy that um, my children would end up going to two or three middle schools and high schools, or they would stay in one place and I would move around and not get to see them very much. And I didn't think that was a good idea. So retiring from the Navy gave me the opportunity to live anywhere in the world. And I look back and Dustin, you graduated from one of the best school systems in the country, if not the state, and you are always a Laker. You are not an ex-Laker. You are a Laker That's and right. always will be. And I thought I should move back home. Um, I maintained my voting registration all the way through. I voted absentee ballot from age 18 to 41. And when I had the opportunity to come back home, I took a position as an instructor in alternative education at Cuga Anadaga Bosis, teaching 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade social studies, something I love as much as I love math and science, explaining my background in engineering. And as I came back home, it was more opportunity to serve the community in a wide variety of settings from youth soccer and other youth sport coaching um, to leading an organization called Scan Races, where we raised over $600,000 in 11 years and distributed to Central New York area fitness programs and encouraged many people. Um, and as I came forward um, serving as a teacher, I came to a different understanding of what it meant to listen and learn and to meet people where they are. And I was frustrated when I saw some things happening in the town. So I'll talk a little bit more later about what caused me to want to step into the ring and do more than volunteer in different activities. But we all live in the most beautiful part of the country, I think. And this time of season is my favorite. Yeah, uh, I'm not a former Laker. You're right. I did graduate it. Although if you look at my school records, it may have been barely. But I got it. I got it done. Uh, but uh, Ralph, uh, your turn. Uh, well, who's Ralph Damasi? I, I, well, tell me a little Ralph, bit about Ralph Damasi was born in Syracuse, and I met her. In fact, I grew up in Syracuse, 
And similar to Chris, I have some military background, but with a bit of a twist. Uh, I found myself as a freshman in college, bored to death, and I thought the greatest thing in the world would be to quit college and join the Army, which I did. And uh, I, the story I always tell my children is the first day that I was there, as I stood out in the cold at Fort Dix, and it dawned on me that I made a big mistake. But at that time, you were in, you were in. And so I stayed. I did my three years, 15, 16 months of those I spent in Vietnam, came home, and went back to college. And, got, and I got a degree. Uh, I married, and uh, I was settled in Syracuse, Syracuse, and then eventually Duet. Uh, my wife and I, my wife Susan, uh, we have five children, four uh, naturally born children, and we have a, an adopted child. And with, with those five, we have six grandchildren. I spent a number of years in construction-related business, of which I had an opportunity at age 52 to sell. And uh, I thought it would be a great thing to do is to go to law school. So at age 52, I went to law school. In two years and three months, I was able to finish, and I came out, and I've been practicing law now for about a little more than 20 years. Primarily, I am a litigator. I litigate most of my cases in Supreme Court. Uh, I do a lot of divorces, but I also do cases in family court, uh, custody matters, child support matters. But I think the key, which is Chris would say, I'll try to tie in a little later, much of Matter of fact, all of them. I'm not a corporate lawyer. I don't deal with companies with lots of money that money isn't really a factor or that emotions are not a factor. I deal with people and people's problems and very intimately, whether that be relative to divorce, whether it be neighbor disputes. And um, so that's what I do. I've decided uh, I live in, we've lived in Skinny Atlas. Uh, First time we lived here was 33 years ago. We've lived here with with one short period of uh, absence, but we've been here for 33 years. My wife had to bring drag me here. You know, I lived in Syracuse. I said, well, it's too far and too expensive. And I'm just delighted that I moved here. I just love walking down that street with my dog and knowing who the mayor is, and the chief of police, and who runs the various stores and knowing my neighbors. So it's a wonderful place to live, and um, that's how I came to be here. That's and and I came to be running because the Democratic committee. And I don't know if this podcast is really geared toward Democrats or not. Oh, it's for, definitely geared toward Democrats. That's what we so, talk about here. <laughs> so for a number of years, double more than ten years, the Democratic committee has wanted me to run for town justice, and my my. Come back to that has always been, I will never run against Charlie Major. Charlie's an institution. He's well regarded. I regard him very highly. And I just would not run against him. I, I didn't really think he'd even have an opportunity to win. I was approached, uh, I'm going to say seven or eight weeks ago, was advised that Charlie had retired. Interestingly enough, at a very inopportune time for bringing Democratic candidates in, uh, but I was asked to run, and I decided that I would do that. So that's how I came to this race. And uh, it's a lot more work than I thought it was. Well, you know, before we get into, you know, why you're running, 
I think it would be helpful because I think a lot of people don't know what town offices do. Uh, you know, they, they they know what president does. They know what their state representatives do. They may even know what the mayor of Syracuse does because they're on the TV all the time. And by the way, you mentioned the mayor of Skinny Atlas, Mary Senate, former supervisor of uh, of the town of Skinny Atlas, and now uh, now the village mayor. And she was a Democrat and is a Democrat, uh, um, although she ran for mayor on a nonpartisan line. But so Skinny Atlas does have some history here of uh, electing Democrats. But let's talk about why, what what do these town offices do? Why does it matter to the voters? We'll start with you, Ralph. What's yeah. a town judge and what are the what are the uh, duties and why should voters care about it? Okay. To explain what the town judge does, I, I would like to give you just a little background on our court systems. In New York State, there, our primary court is called our Court of General Jurisdiction, and that's it's a misnomer of name. It's, we call it the Supreme Court. There are actually courts above our Supreme Court that make decisions uh, on appeals, but Supreme Court is a, a court of fact and law. It, it, it Supreme Court can hear any kind of case in New York State for any amount of money against any people, corporations, with one exception, claims of financial claims against the state. That's the court of claims. But Supreme Court handles everything. And then because of the massive number of court proceedings over the years, the legislature has formed other in what they call inferior courts. They're in inferior courts would be family courts. So they said, we're gonna form a family court and family court's gonna hear certain types of cases, juvenile delinquency, adoption, uh, abuse, neglect, uh, juvenile delinquency. So those are the, there are many other things that family court does. We have surrogates court, uh, uh, wills, trust, and estates. One of the courts that they form, and there are other courts, we have veterans courts, uh, we have drug and alcohol courts, but one court that we have is to basically town courts. That, in many ways, I would refer to it as, quote, the people's court. Uh, as an example, in New York State, we have about 32 to 3,300 judges of all ilk. 1,700 of those judges are in town and local courts. And these are the courts that are making the day-to-day -day decisions between individuals. There are limits of uh, what a town judge. So the town court, uh, for instance, hears nothing but misdemeanors. Okay, does not hear felonies, major crimes. Although the local judge will um, arraign somebody on a major charge, but any major charges like a, a murder or kidnapping or felonies go to Onondaga County Court to, to hear those major cases. But misdemeanors are heard in town town court. The uh, town court hears uh, matters of, uh, unless they're, again, felonies, uh, very commonly uh, juvenile delinquency cases, uh, it handles family court cases when family court's not in session. So if family court's not in session and a juvenile commits some sort of a crime on a weekend, then the uh, local town judge is empowered to place that child in, in a, some sort of a custodial situation until Monday morning. Domestic violence, DWIs, obviously traffic matters, which probably most of us have been involved in at some point in time. Uh, neighbor disputes, 
small claims, claims of less than 3,000. So it's kind of a people's court kind of a thing. Uh, I would also tell you about those 1,800 judges in town court, about 700 of those judges aren't lawyers. This is the one court where you are not required to be an attorney to be a judge. Yeah, it's uh, that is a weird quirk with town judge. You do not have to be qualified as an attorney. Uh, you go to judge's school if you're elected, uh, whether you're an attorney or not. And uh, town judges do not have to be attorney. It's it, I didn't know it was that prevalent though. Seven hundred yeah. out of what did, would you say? Eighteen hundred. Oh, yeah, Seven hundred out of eighteen hundred. I, actually, I would say I'm corrected if somebody challenged that, but I think it's probably pretty close within 10%. That, that's pretty close to half. That's amazing that it's that high. Yeah. That, that's a great, I love that stat, Ralph. I'm a stats guy, so I love, I love that stat. Uh, Chris, tell us about town supervisor. Why should people, what does what a town supervisor do and why should people care? So a town supervisor is in also a bit of a weird circumstance. If you think about it in terms of broadly how we organize our government. So in my participation in government class this morning, my students were talking about, among other Enlightenment thinkers, Montesquieu and his ideas about the separation of power. And of course, they could easily recite that there's three branches and they have checks and balances between them. And we worked our way down to look at how that might apply in New York State. And they were able to process that. And we kept moving. But at the town level, it doesn't quite fit that way as you look at it. And the town supervisor is in the position of being a legislature and equal among peers on the town board. So the vote by the town supervisor carries the exact same weight as a counselor. I've been a counselor for four years and I've seen how in the voting process it can frustrate somebody if particularly the supervisor is pushing forward on something and we say, well, it's one, we got to have three. And sometimes it works that way and sometimes it doesn't. But at the same time, the supervisor is in an executive position to some degree, not as much as you would expect compared to a mayor, but the person who is held fiscally accountable for the operation of the town is the town supervisor. Yes, we have a budget officer, that person certainly would also be reflected in how it's put together. All of the counselors participate in the budget process and oversee the execution of it with the department heads. But ultimately, the supervisor sits in a position of leadership that is cited as a requirement, but also one that's not positional. And in what I've experienced with Janet Aaron, who happened to have been my babysitter and is a wonderful leader, um, she provided an example of somebody who made sure that the, the board was with her, that the other four members, the counselors, understood the issues, had the information they needed to be able to make informed decisions. And it was through her leadership that department heads and outside resources were brought to bear to be able to help us best understand those while we each individually did our own research and then shared what we had discovered as well. So a town supervisor is crucial. And I believe that local government is 
possibly the best government with the right kind of leadership. It can be transparent. It can be immediately accountable. And you certainly can access people. I walk into TOPS and there's people asking me questions about how come the transfer station uh, permit is going up by $20 this year. And I'll give you an answer right there. And as supervisor, I think it's important to maintain that close communication with all members of the community and ensure that they're getting the real answer and not maybe something they read on Facebook or someplace else that isn't factually based. And it comes from the way that this team, both the um, appointed and the um, department heads are working with the elected officials to be able to keep our residents informed and also engage them so that they can readily participate, whether it's a committee that we establish and charter them to be able to bring the best advice forward from their point of view. And I can come up with several examples where we've done precisely that on some significant legislation. For example, we're nearing the very end of two major ones with our solar regulations and also with our shoreline structure regulations. And it's the leadership of the supervisor that turns to the board members and say, well, what do we want to do? We've heard things that are counter what, to what we're initially proposing. Let's come up with some plans here on how we can better match with where the public is expressing their concerns, do the research, whether it's at the state level, the county level, and find out how we could implement and what would be a best fit. Are there other best practices in other communities? Or what can we learn to be able to make that go ahead? On the contrary, Dustin, I've seen not so good supervisors. And I think it's crucial that we have supervisors who have experience and can be able to engage in the public in a very positive way. Well, I guess that gets into the next question. So why are you running? We'll start with you, Chris, this time. So why are you running for supervisor? Why take that uh, leap from uh, board member to supervisor? So I'll start really back with why did I even become a board member? So in my personal family history, the first legs showed up in Scania Atlas in 1804. For people familiar with town, there's a big building right on the lake that faces Genesee Street next to Shotwell or next to um, the parks. And it's named Leg Hall for John Legg, who was a blacksmith who helped shod the horses that were going north for the War of 1812. And we've been continuously engaged in Scania Atlas ever since. On my mother's side, the Gallagher showed up as a result of the potato famine in Scania Atlas Falls, working in the mills there. And my mother's um, uh, side, the Stinsons came a little bit after the Civil War and joined the other Irish who were working in the factories in Scania Atlas Falls. So with that long history, and knowing that my great uncle Don Stinson was once the Democratic chair in the town of Scaniatlas and had fought against a highly um, different political circumstance, which you briefly documented as indicating that Scaniatlas was heavily Republican, and it was, um, but he still fought the fight to get other voices into the forum. And I saw some things that were happening under some Republican leadership with a supervisor and some board members who were doing things that were contrary to the best interest of the people of Scania Atlas. And it was being done without input or ignoring input that was being provided. As 
The next cycle came around for the election of counselors. There were two positions open and I was really quite busy with a number of things, but Mary Sennett, who had um, gone from the town to the village government, sought me out and said, you need to run. Bill Canole, Francis Canole's father, a longstanding Democrat, and his um, Francis's mother, Pat Corbett um, Canole, said, you need to run. And I kept saying no until I could see that they weren't finding any candidates and the two Republicans were going to go ahead unopposed. And I thought, I didn't spend 22 years on the leading edge of the sword of freedom spreading um, the understanding around the world about what democracy means just to see it happen without democratic action or participation by another party as the Republicans would go forward with their candidates. So that's how I got on the board. And once I got on the board, I said, there are too many things that we have just kicked the can down the road. We can't continue to proceed without fixing these things. And it often was the result of short-sighted statements like we're not going to cut tax or we're going to cut taxes or we're not going to raise taxes more than 1%. Totally arbitrary things that did not match the reality of maintaining infrastructure. And trust me, having served on a steamship that was over 30 years old, I know what it means to have to do maintenance on things that have been um, beyond their age and need a great deal of attention. And that's precisely what we have here on things like some of our roads and our infrastructure, particularly in our water system, and certainly the operation of our single most expensive um, operation, which is our transfer station. So as I went through the process the last four years, going into the budget every single time, I was pleased that we could come together as a board and fix some things that were more than five, more than 10, more than 20 years in arrears that needed to be corrected. And now we're at a phase that some of those things are going forward, but we need to keep them going and continue to make the other improvements or corrective actions that can get us in a better state to be able to make Scania Atlas better than we found it and to do it at effective, with effectiveness, but with efficiency that can be affordable and do it in a way that people will not be upset saying you're changing everything. Instead, they'll see the things that are going in place that are positive. Awesome. And yes, thank you for getting involved because that's the hardest part. Once you get involved, it's it, taking that first step and you took it with the town board and now you're trying to take that next step with town supervisor. And I'm so glad that you're doing it. Ralph, um, you said that the the committee was begging you for years to run and now well, retirement has made that possible. But, you know, that's that's one issue. But why why else are you running for a town judge? What, to what about the job appeals to you? To be clear, I'm not retired. I'm thinking. Oh, no, not you retiring. The, the judge that's retired. Oh, the judge is retired. Yeah. And to be clear, they didn't beg me. <laughs> but they yeah, they did. Over the <laughs> You know, I, I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm older than both of you, and and I think surely at various times in my life, uh, and, and although not a religious man per, terribly, but, you, you know, you say, God, what am I here for? You know, please give me, give me a sign. What is it that, what is the purpose of my being here? And frankly, I've gone through much of my life, well, you know, I say, well, okay, I've contributed a little bit. 
but this is kind of a, a, a chance to, to contribute on a local level. And also considering everything that's going on nationally, it becomes more apparent to me that I can't just sit back and let the same crew continue to being in control. We need to have some challenges to the status quo. Basically, what I'm saying is a, a challenge by a Democratic candidate to the, uh, the Republican lock. As far as I know, done a little bit of questioning, I don't think that there even has been a Democratic candidate who's run for judge in over 14 years. You may be able to tell me, Dusty. Uh, in my understanding, there hasn't been a Democratic judge here in over 50 years. It just Yeah, it's been at least that long, yes. It doesn't seem right. I know that based on my background of what I do now, I, I could jump into that job tomorrow and do a credible job. And I have a sense of the kind of people that are coming in and the kind of cases and I understand, particularly in a small community like ours, you, it's not just a matter of hearing some facts and making a decision. It's to have the litigants, if, assuming we're dealing with litigants, be able to walk away and at least have the comfort in knowing that a judge has heard what they had to say, taken a consideration of what they've had to say. Hopefully, I believe in many cases, maybe get the parties together and resolve matters without having to make a decision. But if a decision must be made, the people feel that they've been listened to and treated fairly. I think that's a key. Another thing that I talk about, which I see in my practice, are that many times the defense attorneys make deals with the district attorney, uh, typically in drug or alcohol cases, uh, where somebody, uh, part of the crime that's been committed is, let's say, related to drug use. So the, the deal is, you, you know, we go, go your way, stay out of trouble for a year, uh, take a drug and alcohol course, and uh, we, we dismiss the charges. But from what I understand and see, nobody's following up on any of this stuff. Uh, and, and my feeling is if I'm going to be a judge and I'm going to be signing off on a, a drug case where somebody has agreed to, to take a course of drug and alcohol, or, uh, uh, excuse me, drug treatment, then I want to follow up on that because that case isn't going to dis disappear until I have some assurances that the that the arrangement that was made between the district attorney and the defense attorney will be honored. I want, I would, I mean, we got. I was talking to the chief the other day, and he told me that there's there was all of a ten arrests in Skinny Atlas last year. So I mean, it, it, we're not—we're hardly a crime-ridden community by any means, but I want to keep it that way. I'd like to see it stay there, and I think that I can do a good job. I—I I think you can too, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, so, you know, now we, because you are running for judge, I want to remind the viewers that you can't really talk about issues. Uh, You—you—you're—you're you're not allowed to take positions on cases. Uh, but I am going to ask, Ralph, if you are uh, elected, when you are elected to judge, what are some of the areas that you want to focus on uh, um, at, you know, as judge? What are some of the, the areas that uh, you know the town judge covers that you're hoping to make better? Well, to reiterate what I just said, uh, 
and part of the problem is time. These are part-time jobs. So my truthfully, my guess is this isn't going to be a part-time job. And that's where, uh, I, and I think I've, I probably intimated to you before we started this, that this might very well be a retirement job for me. But my guess is it's much more than a part-time job. But I, the thing that I see is important is if we're going to give people a break, because we do that. That's 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 America. You know, everybody gets an, an extra, another chance. And if we have people that commit, and most of the things that, that are going to come up for a town judge are, are relatively minor criminal matters. People, generally, people who have just kind of gotten themselves into situations, probably a first criminal act. But what I want to do is to intervene and hopefully prevent them from moving to the next step, to commit another crime, if, assuming it's crime, to, to have more domestic violence. And part of that is going to be to make sure that they have completed whatever educational programs they need to complete, if they've completed whatever program they're supposed to complete as part of their uh, deal with the district attorney. And Chris, uh, we're going to go to you now. What are some of the issues in, that are going on in Skinny Atlas that you're hoping for your run as supervisor that you're going to address uh, if the voters put you in, when the voters put you in in November? So I'll give you the top three. Number one, protect our lake. Skinny Atlas Lake is an enormous resource, not just for the village and town of Skinny Atlas, but as you're well aware, water flows by gravity from Skinny Atlas to the city of Syracuse and some of our other fellow towns. And our lake is an unfiltered water source, and we need to maintain it that way. And in order to do that, the town of Skinny Atlas has a responsibility to make sure that the land use around the lake is appropriate and that it's not doing harm. And in particular right now, we already have in front of the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation a nine-element plan that takes time to get through the Albany process to complete and then bring it back as an approved plan, which is the key to going forward. It creates a database, a model of the lake, and it monitors the water. And it also provides us a key that gets us access to expertise and grants from other agencies that can be able to help us work with our partners in the village and work with the other four towns that are on the lake and also the city of Syracuse and all three counties, Cayuga County, Cortland County, and Onondaga County, to preserve this wonderful asset that is not just a source of drinking, but it's a true economy driver. It's what drives the wonderful um, real estate market that we live in here in Skinny Atlas, that tax base is wonderful and gives us the opportunity to do things. It also drives our economy that provides a great deal of tourist interest, which while it doesn't benefit us most directly, that sales tax is a big chunk that goes through and the piece of it, the half of it that goes to Onondaga County while the other half goes to the state is a generator of revenue. And recently we have been able over the last couple of years to work with our local um, assembly person and also Senator Rachel May. And we sought legislature or legislative approval 
of a law that would provide us and the village did the same thing, the opportunity to charge a 5% occupancy tax. So we now have a revenue stream from those tourists going into the future that we can put right back into our infrastructure. So protect the lake is number one. Number two, we have a water tower that would help us correct some very long-standing deficiencies in our water system that would improve the capacity. We would put a tank in place at a high elevation. That tank would provide the correction to a lack of water storage for both the village and the town, especially for firefighting capability. It would also correct a number of problems we have with pressure and flow. And right now we're prohibited from extending the town's water system beyond the 1,024 customers that we have. So we have significant parts of the town who can't gain water and that is a hindrance to economic development. We have commercial projects that are ready to go and they can't proceed without having that water to be able to keep them in business. The third, I'll cite a specific um, example, but you could see broader application of it. And it's our transfer station. We are not a member of the Onondaga County um, Okra disposal programs. We are separate, we are on our own. And through our program, we had reached a point where the transfer station was not only our most expensive operation, it was the one escalating at the fastest rate. And it was out of control and it's because we didn't have accountability. So we implemented a enforced permit system. So we stopped people from coming from some of our loving neighboring towns who would take use of our um, operation and discontinued businesses accessing our residential um, transfer station as licensed by the DEC. We reversed the cost, which reduced the tax burden. We slowly raised a $20 rate that hadn't been raised in more than 20 years. And we've reached now an $80 rate. So the share that is borne by taxes is much, much less. And simultaneously, we've increased our ability to provide services. We were one of the first municipalities to accept liquid paint. And it's no cost to anyone in the town. It's done through surcharges for people who buy taint, paint. And we also found a way to alter one of our costs in our single stream. We already extracted cardboard, corrugated cardboard, because we can sell it on the market. We were able to find a way to take the cans that we generate in our households out of the single stream and put them into our scrap metal disposal where we get paid for it, which is a savings of over $150 a ton, which adds up significantly over the course of the year. I want to go forward and do the same thing for glass and mixed paper. And we need to be in position to with some leadership that can make that happen. I could transfer that to a dozen other programs, Dustin, but I'll leave it at that. No, I mean, that's a great, uh, you know, uh, a, a great list of things that you'd like to accomplish in uh, my alma mater there, Skinny Atlas. So we're getting close to what I, you know, I like to cut this podcast off. People stop listening around a half hour or so. So I like to go into my final question, which is my catch-all. What haven't we talked about? So now here's an opportunity to talk about something that you don't think that we've uh, we touched on the podcast and you want the voters to know. Uh, we're going to start it off with you, Chris. 
So I'll just start off right away that I found that the most essential thing that the supervisor can do is help the counselors understand how to process with the public changes that we're going to implement. And I've experienced change throughout my leadership positions, both in the classroom and previously in the military. And you need to help people understand so that they can get on board with you. Just because you think you're the smartest person in the room doesn't mean you're doing the right thing. And engaging the public, bringing in people who are close to it, whether they're a true stakeholder or they're somebody that might be indirectly affected is crucial. And Ralph, uh, what haven't we talked about that you want to vote, you want to leave the voters with? I want to talk about bullet voting. And I know you know. Oh, yeah, I love bullet voting. Let's talk about it. I never even heard of bullet voting until about three weeks ago. Uh, in some ways, our Republican friends have outsmarted us uh, by their timely uh, retirement of Judge Major. They put us in a position where our Democrats have put one person up, me, but they have two people running for judge. We missed an opportunity. So what that means is that when a voter goes into that vote, goes to vote, they're voting for two people and there's three people running. There's two Republicans running and one Democrat running. Each voter gets two votes. My problem in terms of getting elected, assuming that people tend to vote on party lines, if a Republican goes in, the Republicans each are going to get a vote. If a Democrat goes in, again, assuming that Democrat votes on party line, they'll vote for me. They got another vote. And my problem is, is if they exercise that vote for either of those Republicans, they haven't necessarily totally negated the vote for me, but they've surely watered it down. I have no opportunity of winning unless many of the people that vote will bullet vote. And what that means is they don't have to vote for, th for two people. They can vote for one person. They can vote for just me as the Democratic candidate. I was very hesitant to even bring this up originally, but I find that people understand this and people uh, seem to, to understand the importance of this if they want to get a Democrat elected and or if I'm the Democrat, that they get elected. So I'm asking anybody who listens to this podcast to consider that when they go in and vote. Yeah, I mean, they de you definitely have a choice. You uh, you do not have to always vote for every candidate, and especially if they don't uh, fall along your ideological lines. Uh, and uh, you they they did have this late retirement that got you in the race late, and it's uh, they did that to keep it out of the even years because you're running for a full term, um, and so that's uh, that's very important. Uh, well, Ralph, Chris. Thank you so much for coming on Zoom and Zarnia. I'll be putting your links to your social medias and uh, in in the in, in the show notes. So please go follow them there. And of course, if you're out in Skinny Atlas, get out and vote this November on all of our races, but especially your town races. Chris, Ralph, thanks so much for coming on Zoom and Zarnia. Thank you. Thank you. And that was my interview with uh, Chris Legg running for town supervisor and Ralph Damasi running for town justice for the town of Skinny Atlas on this fall's uh, uh, ballot. If you want, go back uh, a couple of weeks ago. I did a weekly walk on the town of Skinny Atlas. And uh, uh, it's not as uh, 
as desperate as you might think out there. In fact, uh, that town has uh, voted for Democrats uh, quite a bit, uh, considering its enrollment. So the, these two gentlemen definitely have a really good chance. This week, uh, uh, my next weekly walk <laughs> is uh, my, I'm finishing up my political subdivisions with the County Legislative District 15, uh, and uh, that'll be this weekend. Um, check it out. It's going to be a, a, a good one. Commissioner in a car on Tuesday, I'll be talking about absentee ballots because uh, we'll be coming up on the absentee ballot deadline on October 23rd. So on Tuesday, we'll be talking to Commissioner in a car on that. My next Zoom with Zarni will be uh, uh, the, uh, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> My next Zoom with Zarni will be another interview with candidates. We have a lot of town candidates out there. Uh, this will be with the town of Salina, Democratic candidates. Uh, that'll be next Thursday. Uh, so check all of that out at DustinZarney.com. Remember, you can go and subscribe. You can get an email every day. Uh, well, not every day. Every time I post something, which around election time might be every day, uh, whether it's a news article that is re relevant to the election or my content uh, that I do as well. So check all that out, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.